Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And remember, you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, GoodPods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave any feedback, leave a review if the app allows you to do so, and definitely, definitely follow on social media, leave any feedback there, any possible uh, podcast topic suggestions, you know, they are always uh, welcome and appreciate it. And on social media, I also uh, post pictures of organisms and I give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So please go ahead and follow. If you haven't listened to the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. Great episode with Dr. Sarah McAnulty and Dr. Spencer Nyholm from the University of Connecticut. And it was very interesting because, you know, they talked about the Hawaiian bobtail squid. And there's a bacterial community that plays a role on the development of a gland that is called the accessory natamental gland. So definitely very interesting episode. You know, we also learned a little bit about Bibria fisheri and about symbiosis. So definitely a very informative episode, very educational, and they are so passionate about what they do. And I always like that. Definitely, you know, when you're passionate about what you do. And on today's episode, we are actually uh, switching gears a little bit. So like I said, you know, I am a medical lab scientist. So every now and then I will do some episodes about medical lab sciences. So we're still within the realm of the laboratory, just not microbiology. So on today's episode, I have a guest and then we are talking about the doctorate in clinical laboratory sciences degree, that program. And the guest is the first graduate from the Rutgers University DCLS program, which is the Doctorate in Clinical Laboratory Sciences, Brandy Gonzalez. And she joins the podcast and she talks about what the DCLS program is, you know, what are the requirements. She talks about things, you know, like what they study, you know, they study a little bit of pharmacology, a little bit of research. So they, you know, they learn about, you know, the diagnostic part. They also do things such as consultation, either via email or by the bedside. You know, they optimize the utilization of laboratory tests. So, you know, she talks about her experience, you know, what she does, what, what a DCLS does. And, you know, she talks about what function a DCLS graduate can perform as, you know, as director wise, making the distinction, you know, that you can be a high complexity lab director, but not a medical director. And also, you know, something interesting that she said is that a lot of people that apply to these programs, you know, they don't complete the applications. And when we close the interview, she says, you know, that the DCLS is not for everyone. And she says, you know, personality wise, you have to be prepared, you know, to take sometimes, you know, criticism, deal with angry phone calls because, you know, the attention is on you. And those of us that work in the lab, you know, we... A lot of times, you know, when something goes wrong, the lab gets blamed. So you definitely need to do a personality check and see if you're pursuing this degree. Are you prepared to deal with those challenges? All in all, this was a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. 
and you learn more about the DCLS, Doctorate in Clinical Laboratory Sciences. And this is, you know, another path that you can take in your career in the lab, you know, another educational path. And, you know, Dr. Gonzalez, you know, she was, she's an MLS. She practiced for many years, you know, she went up the ladder, you know, she was a manager. And one day she started pursuing, you know, she went another way and she talks about what made her pursue the DCLS and how she got there. So, like I said, all in all, a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. So let's go ahead and listen to it. So today, instead of talking uh, micro, we are talking more lab overall. Like I always say, you know, I am a medical lab scientist. And I like to do episodes about medical laboratory science, sciences and more. So today, you know, we sometimes, you know, we wonder what can we do? You know, what careers can we have in the medical lab sciences field? You know, some people go the way of management. Some people become educators. So today we are talking about the doctorate in clinical laboratory sciences program. And with me, I have a guest. Her name is Dr. Brandy Gonzalez, and she's a doctor in clinical laboratory science. Dr. Gonzalez, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thank you so much for having me on. Definitely my pleasure. So for the audience, let's go ahead and start with a quick introduction. Sure. So uh, as you said, my name is Dr. Brandy Gonzalez. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry from Southeastern Louisiana University. I have a bachelor's degree in clinical laboratory science from uh, Louisiana State University, New Orleans. And I have both a master's degree in clinical laboratory science and the doctorate in clinical laboratory science from Rutgers University. I have been a practicing uh, MLS for, oh gosh, 20 two years now <laughs> and I have served every capacity within the laboratory from phlebotomy to bench laboratory supervisor management I've even uh, did a stint as a uh, admin director for a laboratory and uh, I finally and in my calling serving as a practitioner of doctorate in clinical laboratory science. And this, I've lived for lab, I always have. And this is really what I was meant to do. That That's awesome. And I, I you know, definitely you can see your, your passion uh, from what you said. And it is something good that I like to tell other medical lab scientists, you know, you definitely have worked in different areas over the lab. So it's always good to kind of experience different things to, you know, to find your passion, to find, you know, which area you kind of, you know, you like best and you can, you know, do a better job at it. So that's always, you know, great. So let's go ahead and talk about, so what does the doctor in, in clinical lab science do? You know, like as far as the responsibilities uh, and then for those, besides those, you know, what else can you do? So a uh, doctor in clinical laboratory science or DCLS for short, does a variety of different things, but we're primarily trained in clinical consultation on laboratory medicine. We take extensive education in pathophysiology, which is also disease process correlation. Uh, we take coursework in pharmacology, of course, advanced courses in uh, blood banking and microbiology and molecular and chemistry and hematology and hemostatic, you know, all the laboratory areas. We take advanced coursework in that. We go way beyond that. We include epidemiology, 
the pharmacology, the pathophysiology. We do research. We take several courses in research and data and statistics. And we learn how everything comes together. How, like in MLS, you're taught this one area of disease process. We're taught how that then creates the domino effect to affect every other disease process within the body. It's kind of like a mini med school. So we're, we're taught the diagnostic part, not the treatment part, but the diagnostic part. So we learn all of this and basically become di diagnosticians. We are experts in choosing the right diagnostic test at the right time and making sure that that diagnostic test is interpreted correctly within the context of the patient's clinical presentation at that moment. A lot of tests on the surface would be interpreted very plainly, but once you get into the nuances, let's say that patient has had a transplant, Let's say that patient is under immunosuppressive therapy. Let's say they're advanced HIV or they have lupus. The different tests you interpret differently. Additionally, when they're on different medications, you have to take into account not only interferences, but then how those medications affect the body so you can anticipate what changes in the laboratory testing may have, whether or not that's a true value or not. So we, we learn how to interpret all of those, recommend the correct tests for a particular patient to get the right diagnosis, and then communicate that to both the physician as well as help explain it to the family and any family members should they need additional assistance with that. We are experts in not only doing this consultation, say via email, but also at the bedside. We do this within patient care teams. I have rounded, gosh, I don't, can't even count the number of times now, with clinical care teams right there with the uh, physician, the nurse, the clinical PharmD, respiratory therapist, dietitian, the, the whole team is there together and functioning as a team. Of course, the physician is the captain of the boat, so to speak, but we're all there together doing what is best for the patient and making those recommendations based on our own area of expertise. So that is the fundamental what a DCLS does. What a DCLS can also do is uh, optimize utilization of laboratory testing, and that is doing education with physicians or other healthcare providers, looking and analyzing reports from your EMR or from utilization software to determine what just need education to a few providers, or is this something that we really need to put in a, like a hard rule into the EMR to stop lots of providers from uh, performing the same mistake over and over again. Finally, what we also do uh we can serve as that high complexity lab director. That has been uh, a matter of contention here recently. Uh, I have several DCLSs that 
currently serve as high complexity lab directors in their laboratories. They have been through inspections, passed with flying colors. The contention here recently with the CMS comments that you may be aware of this past fall is really with the interpretive comments in the CLIA, not that it's changing actually, but within those interpretive comments. The DCLS is not to replace a pathologist or even to replace a PhD clinical chemist or microbiologist. We're here to work in conjunction, filling the gaps where they don't have time to do a lot of these consultations. They don't have time to do a lot of this education that is going on. And the perfect place for a high complexity lab director DCLS is in a small hospital a rural acute care or a critical access hospital where there is no pathologist on site. And they certainly cannot afford a PhD to be just in chemistry when it's, it's so small, you've only got like a 10 person lab to begin with. That's a perfect spot for a DCLS to serve as both admin director and high complexity lab director and do all of those purposes. Now, while they can serve as a high complexity lab director, they cannot serve as a laboratory medical director. You still have to have that pathologist, especially for blood banking, because that requires treatment that's outside of our scope of practice. So you still need to have a medical director. And I think people kind of don't understand the difference between those two. But those are the general areas in which we can practice. Finally, there's research. And uh, we do translational research that can be applied towards patient care uh, that is being applied today. Well, so definitely it's it's very varied and all you can do. And, you know, I like that you mentioned about a, a small hospital. Like I've been there as an MLS and yeah, there's no, no PhD and you kind of wish you had someone, you know, you have all these challenges and for me, micro with breakpoints and things like that. And it's just, Having someone that has the the understanding, you know, the knowledge, it definitely would have been, it would have made for a better experience when I was at that particular place in time. So I definitely, and something that you mentioned now that, so you do get to work with, to the with the family, so you get to talk to them as well. Yes, yes, we do. So it really depends on the position that you're in. Uh, there's been times, uh, especially with some more esoteric tests. A lot of times a nurse is the one who ends up having to explain test results to a patient. And now nurses know that they can contact me and say, look, can you either explain it to me so I can explain it to them? Or many times they'll just give me the phone number and say, hey, please call this patient because she's got a ton of questions and I have no idea how to answer these questions. So we are versed in how to talk to patients and talk to their family and their caregivers and at a level that that way they understand what their lab tests mean and why it's important for them to continue to get mo test monitoring if that is what their physician has ordered. Okay, ma'am, kind of who better to explain that what a test is than an actual laboratorian, so definitely makes a lot of a lot of sense and a simpler process um so as far as education you know i have seen that you also there's so much also a, a master's degree for clinical lab science i mean do you know what what can you do with that degree 
So I have a master's degree in clinical laboratory science. Uh, I got it before the DCLS was available. There are several larger institutions that do require either a specialty certification or a master's degree in order to move up into management. So if you're not really comfortable with going out and doing that that face-to-face consultation, I mean, the lab does attract a lot of introverts now. So if, if you're not comfortable with doing that, but you do want to aspire to move up within the ranks, within the laboratory, that master's really does help. You do get some laboratory administration within uh, the master's degrees that I have seen out there, including the one that I obtain. Uh, outside of a, a master's in clinical laboratory science, if you're looking to go into administration, of course, there's the MBA, but do my, you'll be mindful that that is a very business oriented and it's going to be a lot of the topics don't really correlate well into the laboratory because it's more for traditional capitalistic business and healthcare certainly <laughs> doesn't really fall into that really well, the way that we have insurance and reimbursement and things like that. Um, there, and if you're, well, an option to that is also the master's in healthcare administration or healthcare management. Now, if you're wanting to move on to the DCLS, but you're not really sure if you really want to jump into that commitment, the master's in CLS is also a way that you can get your foot in the door. And I know at least two of the DCLS programs will accept some of the master's classes uh, towards those credit hours for the DCLS. So you'll have to get them, you know, evaluated like you would any other uh, degree program that you're transferring into with your transcripts. But I do know at least two programs do review transcripts from a master's in CLS and consider applying those towards some of the DCLS credits. Okay. And you know, I, I like that you mentioned about the yeah, the, the lab attracting introverts, because that's definitely very true. And and I am one of them. And I actually, you know, this is me right now facing my fears and and talking to people and coming out of my shell. So definitely it's it's a great place where you can hide behind your work and you're doing great work, but maybe, you know, the most interaction that you have is with your coworkers or a phone call from a doctor, but you don't get to talk to patients. So definitely a lot of, a lot of introverts. Um, so you talked about, you know, the responsibilities. So what's a typical day for a DCLS? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> It kind of varies. It kind of varies with what position you're in. For me, I spend a lot of my time doing clinical consultation, uh, primarily through email and through phone. I do um, a lot of data analytics, looking at whole the whole health system. Uh, not only Am I, uh, do I oversee pathology utilization here at AU Medical Center, but also for the entire AU health uh, health system, which includes a total of three hospitals, a uh, the Georgia War Veterans Nursing Home, and we're breaking ground on another hospital <laughs> and about 36 outpatient clinics. And so I evaluate all of the utilization for all of those areas, approximately 2,500 providers across the whole system. <laughs> but that's how I spend a lot of my day. 
Uh, I have a colleague that I know that is um, at NYU and she spends the bulk of her day rounding on patients. I have another colleague that is in biotech out in California, and she is the scientific director for a startup medical diagnostic company. And so she is doing a lot of the education piece and making sure that the, the tests are validated correctly and appropriately and are clinically significant and how that translates into actual patient care. And so she's she's having a blast out there in California. <laughs> I know us DCLS that work in uh, quality assurance, not just for, and I'm not talking about like quality assurance for one hospital, but like quality assurance for a national laboratory. And they are the quality assurance person for the entire nation. <laughs> <laughs> for that national laboratory. And then I know some DCLS uh, graduates that uh, decided that they really liked the academic side and they've gone into academia as well. So it, it really just depends on what position you you, you kind of land in and what you want to do with this, with this degree. Okay. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen that as, as I you know, uh, look over social media more and more, I, I see that this degree is taking more of a, it's like more people are, are, you know, applying to it and studying. Like I see a lot of fellow MLSs that they're, you know, currently going through the, through the program. Um, so what are the requirements to complete this degree? All there's three programs right now that currently have uh, the degree that is Rutgers university UTMB Galveston, so that's University of Texas Medical Branch Galveston, and then Kansas University Medical Center. Kansas University Medical Center and UTMB Galveston both require a 3.0 GPA. Rutgers requires a 3.2. Uh, they all do require you to be an MLS ASCP with continuing maintenance. So for those of us that were <clears throat> grandfathered in. <laughs> I'm giving away my age. Uh, <laughs> those of us that were grandfathered in, we have to do the continuing maintenance. Of course, if you were certified after 2004, I believe, uh, you're required to do the continuing maintenance, but they do only, all three programs only accept the ASCP board certification. You do have to have accredit, uh, graduated from an NACLS accredited MLS program. Uh, you do have to have a minimum of three years of MLS bench experience prior to starting the program. So you can have two years prior to application, and it does take a year for the application cycle to go through for all of the programs. All three require letters of reference and an interview. Those interviews uh, can be done either on-site or virtually. Yeah, I think that's it. They all, all of them have done away with the GRE. So <laughs> no more GRE, which, which is good. And that that's basically it. Of course, there's a, a an essay for the programs, and all three have the same question. Why do you want to be a DCLS? So <laughs> just no going into it that that's, that's an essay you're going to have to write. It is the same for all three programs. I will say that while the applications have ticked up 
at all three of the programs, all three programs do have a same problem when it comes to applications. And that's the number of people that actually complete the applications. And so um, I know one program that had 45, 46 that applied for this coming incoming class of only eight to 10 slots but only 20 of them actually completed the whole application. They were either missing references or missing transcripts, missing uh, their essay, uh, you know, various pieces of their application. And so what I'd say is if you're gonna, just like anything else, if you're gonna apply, you gotta complete all the pieces <laughs> in order to apply or don't expect to get in. But yeah, right, I mean, if you're going through you know, you started that process, you know, why not finish it? It's just, yeah. I, um, so you, as you mentioned, you know, you've, you've been working in the lab for a long time. And so you're a medical lab scientist. So, you know, you work management, you know, said start as a phlebotomist. So what made you uh, choose one day, you know, say, I want to pursue this, the CLS. So it actually started, I was a lab manager for a large physician office laboratory with an urgent care center. And it was, had 14 physicians and we, we had our own full laboratory, you know, CBC, we had um, a Beckman Coulter AU 480. We had COAG. We even had a little Cepheid gene expert in there so I mean, we did full laboratory in there no micro no blood bank but full, but everything else and i had gotten to know these physicians very well and they would come to me and go i forgot what what the test was for you know to to order for cushings or they would come and they'd say i i don't know what um what these values mean when pharmacogenomics came out they were like I ordered it and now I've got this 20 page paper and I have no idea what 20 pages of results. And I have no idea what any of this means. I realized that I did not have the sufficient knowledge to answer all of the questions. I could answer some, but I couldn't answer all of the questions that they were coming to me with. And some of them were even clinical questions that I definitely did not have the background for. That's actually why I went into the master's first. The DCLS was not available yet. And so I got my master's degree. The semester that I graduated with my master's, the program director at Rutgers, which is where I was graduating from, said, we are now offering the DCLS and explained what the DCLS does with clinical consultation and answering these provider these providers questions which i knew firsthand the providers had I, mean, I was juggling my 14 providers you know like i couldn't imagine what it was like in a ho large hospital that surely if it's like this with mine it's just exponential at a hospital and so i i knew that this degree and this position was so desperately needed and so I made the leap. It was a leap of faith and applied. I was the first one accepted. I was the only one in my class. I was the only one accepted. 
and became the, the first graduate for DCLS. I, in order to do that, I had to move my family across four states to do a residency to complete the program and did not know if there was going to be a job at the end of the rainbow. But lo and behold, I completed my residency. Um, my medical director, pathologist, Dr. Singh, he, when I was graduating, he goes, you're leaving? I'm like, well, I don't have a job. He goes, no, 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 you're not leaving. <laughs> and they, they turned around, they very quickly created a job for me and been here ever since. They won't let me leave. <laughs> wow, that's great. Wow. Um, yeah, so definitely, so you were the first person to graduate from this program. Wow. Um, so you kind of touched on this and you said that, uh, you know, I was going to ask like in which direction is the degree going and I was going to ask about a director. So you touched on that. So you said that they can be a, a high complexity lab director, but um, it doesn't replace a medical director, right? Correct. Correct. Still need to have a medical director because treatment is outside of a DCLS scope of practice. Uh, if you've got blood bank, definitely have to have a medical director for transfusion reaction workups, for, you know, apheresis issues, must have a, a pathologist um, that readily available for that. Um, you still need to have a, a medical director for anatomic. You know, we are not anatomic at all. We are doctorate of clinical laboratory science. So um, we have nothing to do with the tissues. Now, do we learn as part of our training some of that? Yeah, we do learn some of that, but our, our concentration is really on the clinical side. So there, there is, we, we do not replace a pathologist by no means. We work in conjunction with them. Think of the pathologists that you know, and you probably have pathologists that are very introverted, just like our MLS counterparts. There's a reason that they went into pathology and not surgery or neurology or something else, because they're introverted, they're quiet, they want they generally want to sit behind the microscope. They don't like to have that interaction with other people. And so what has happened over time is they've kind of retreated. And at the same time, we have a huge shortage of pathologists. And so we, they have retreated. We've got a shortage of them. Now you've got pathologists that have not only retreated, but they're doing everything they can just to keep up with the work. They don't have time to do these consults even if they wanted to, they don't have time to do the education. And so it's become more critical now more than ever for a DCLS to fill that role. Now, I've heard the argument that DCLS is taking people off the bench. True to an extent, as long as our schools are, are filled and they're still putting out new graduates, we're not really taking off the bench. What we are doing is we're optimizing the test utilization. There are many tests, we have dropped the utilization of our tests by an amazing amount here. And if you're reducing the unnecessary tests, then the necessary tests 
become a manageable workload for the MLSs that you do have. Yes, I can definitely, I do understand that. And it's just, yeah, education is very important because a lot of times, you know, we do get a lot of duplicate testing and in micro, we get sometimes, you know, some antibiotics that are definitely overused and, and, you know, contributing to AMR and stuff like that. So it's just like, Definitely having that education because you we get those cases where sometimes, you know, the same thing is order and order when there are some options. So it's definitely good. I mean, and granted, there is a shortage of MLSs, and that's a, that's something that, you know, a challenge that we have ahead with having more programs and more awareness. But definitely someone out there um, educating people and just so the test can be utilized correctly, something that's, in my opinion, yes, yeah, definitely very important. So I agree with you. And like also, like you said, so it's not to uh, DCL, DCLS is not there to replace someone. It's just, you know, it's kind of to be part of the team. Absolutely. We, we are not here to replace anyone. We're here to enhance the team and fill in the gaps. And now that you, that you mentioned with your residency, uh, how long is, is the program overall and that residency component? Uh, so it depends on if you're going full time or part time. For the didactic coursework, uh, I had to work full time. I'm a breadwinner at my house, so I, I could only go part time for the didactic coursework. It took me three years for the didactic coursework and then a one year full time residency. During that time, I went part time for my primary job. We ate a lot of ramen. I can fix ramen a hundred different ways now. <laughs> But um, my, my husband was very, very supportive, very much on board, and, and he, he understood the need for, for this as well. And so we, we packed it up and we moved and we penny pinched and ate ramen. <laughs> and here we are. It, it is a year long residency for two of the programs, uh, for Rutgers and for KU. For UTMB, they do it a little bit differently. They break it up into um, multiple, it's either six or eight week sessions. And so you would go to UTMB and Galveston for a six to eight week session, and then you would go back home. And you, you would do that, um, I, I think it's four or five times throughout the program. Um, by the time you complete. So for, for all of the programs, if you're going part-time, it's about four years, give or take. Yeah. Out there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the case that a lot of lab professionals, you know, we already have families and when we decide to pursue, you know, higher studies for that sense, yeah, it's already, you know, it takes a little bit longer because yeah, we do have full-time jobs. So I definitely see that. Um, and for the listeners, you know, I will put on the show notes, the the list of the programs so you can check them out and see all the prerequisites and what you need. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? So a DCLS is not for everyone. You become the face of the laboratory for your facility. And that can be great. It also has to come with thick skin because remember for years, for years, and as long as I can remember, who, you know, when something goes wrong, who do they blame first? It's always the lab. <laughs> it's always the lab's fault. You know, 
you know, I don't have my result. Why is it taking so long? We never got the specimen. It's still sitting on a counter at a nurse's desk. You know, doesn't matter. It's still lab fault. But you become the face of the laboratory. And you have to understand that a lot of times when physicians are angry and they're going to be angry and they're going to yell and they're probably not going to say nice things, they're not angry at you. They're angry at the situation. They're fighting on behalf of their patient and they don't know who else to talk to except for you. So you do have to have a thick skin. You do have to let things roll off your back. You do have to understand that you become the face of the laboratory for your facility. And some people can handle that and some people can't. So before you begin this journey, take a deep look at yourself and see, can you handle that? You also have to be a good communicator. You have to be able to communicate your thoughts and your intentions to somebody else. And you have to be able to communicate it both verbally and by written word. If you have a very difficult time communicating, you need to work on that before you begin the DCLS program because it will make the program a whole lot easier and make you a much more effective practitioner if you can communicate. Okay. Um, well, you know, definitely, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, you know, this has been great, very informative, you know, we, um, shining some light to the DCLS program. Um, so definitely thank you for taking the time to come into Let's Talk Micro. Absolutely. Had a blast. Thank you for having me. All right. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about the DCLS program. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. What a great guest. So definitely, uh, if you want to do more research, look at the show notes and you will see you know, the, the schools that offer the DCLS program. But one thing, you know, you have to be an MLS and AACP certified. As always, Continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. It will make you better at your job. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. A lot of great things coming your way. So, as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.